comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Everybody and welcome back to the Walking Dead TV podcast uh, episode. What is this? One hundred seven, one hundred nine, I think. Actually, isn't it? Four hundred nine. <laughs> well, it's the Walking Dead episode four hundred nine alone, but this is episode <laughs> one hundred nine of uh, WDTV. I'm George from Jersey. You just heard Aaron Newworth, and Russ is on the line as well. How are you doing tonight, Russ and Aaron? Good. I'm doing well as well. And uh, tonight we're talking about the mid-season premiere of The Walking Dead, episode four hundred nine. Giddy up. Uh, a very Carl-centric episode, as well as a very Michonne-heavy episode. Just in general, before we get into the synopsis, what did you guys think of this week's episode? It was kind of different from the main push of the show, but I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. I uh, loved the episode. I, it might be my favorite of this season so far. It was exactly what I wanted out of the kind of mid-season premiere, where we're having that singular focus, and it also delivered on what are some of my favorite issues of the comic involving Carl and Rick after the fall of the prison. So I, I was just all about this episode. I was definitely a fan. I mean, right away when I saw that Nicotero was directing, that, of course, is a huge plus in my mind. Kirkman taking sole writing credit on it at first, I, I, I'll admit, kind of worried me a little bit because I think the episodes he's had sole writing credit on have been a little uneven so far in the series overall. But... It's kind of cool because there are a couple things that annoyed me with this episode, and when we got to the payoff, it was it was a positive. So in my mind, they did their job. You know, they made you kind of really think and get engaged in the episode, and then came around and and kind of twisted it a little bit. So uh, yeah, just very positive overall. Was this episode the first time we've ever had a pratfall in The Walking Dead, a non-zombie pratfall, anyway? I mean, I'm sure Lori did something stupid at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Slipping a card does not really count as a pratfall, Aaron. I don't know. Maybe Otis tripped on something or something. Is one episode. Someone probably have, had to have fallen down at some point. That's true, although I don't think Eddie's been played for quite the comedic effect that this one was. But we will get to that. We'll also get to, at the end of the episode, the winner of the awesome contest we had over the break. So be sure to stick around for that. Um, this episode, uh, like you guys mentioned, was very close to the comics. It's actually almost identical, at least in the Rick and Carl portion, to issues, what is it, 49 and 50 of the Walking Dead comic? Yeah. Um, and of course, the Michonne story is a little bit different, but uh, we'll get to that as well. So the episode starts with Michonne uh, returning to the prison. And she uses her katana to kill a couple walkers. And then she traps a couple on uh, the spikes. What do you call those those anti-tank spikes 
that they have in front of the prison. I've seen them in like World War II and stuff, but I don't know the name. Tank traps. Just tank traps? Okay. So she catches two walkers on there, and she turns them into a new set of pets using the rope from the the door-opening pulley system to to wrangle them. Um, She walks around. She finds Herschel. Or at least his head, which is has been reanimated as a zombie, and uh, she kills it with her katana. Um, and at first, I thought this was a little bit overkill. Like I was like, "Do we really need to see the blade in his head?" But I thought by the end of the scene, they they had bought me back a little bit by the way she kind of you know spent a moment with him just silently. It was just a cool head. Like when I was looking at, it, I was like, "Damn, that's a nice looking model." I mean, it really looked like Herschel. It was really creepy, almost. Almost like they painted him up in, or had him wear a green skin suit or something, and just had him lay on his side. I mean, it was it was extremely well done. So I, I I I that was one of the first things I put in my notes for last week's episode or for last night's episode uh, was that head looks good. The thought of Scott Wilson in a skin tight green bodysuit is one of the more horrifying images I've ever had. Uh, it's completely turned me on, but um, <laughs> I. I, I did I did like the uh, the shot of the head and Michonne's reaction to it. I just thought it was a well played all around I like this cold open quite a bit. In my notes I actually have Herschel and then I have a frowny face next to it. That's real actually. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I no, I like the I mean, it sucks that Herschel's gone and I may or may not like it just it, it put me right back into the zone of The Walking Dead with that kind of shot of like, oh yeah. <laughs> there was a character I really liked that died. That sucks. And here is, you know, his his parting on the series now, which Michonne had to deal with herself, just adding a little bit more insult to injury amidst these other things that are happening, like, you know, the fall of the prison. And uh but yeah, I I, I thought it was a good uh good last look at Herschel for what it was. We also see the dead body of the governor again. Yeah, just uh, you know, reinforcing that he's really gone. And at least according to Wikipedia, uh, Karen Condon was also in the opening. Or, I'm sorry, Carrie Condon um, as Claire from the first episode. And I know we saw her at the end of 408. Did either of you actually notice her in the beginning of this episode, though? No, I didn't. No. And and I noticed her the fir- in, in the last episode, too, but I didn't you know notice her this time around so i don't know if it was if she if he was she was she actually was lingering around or i don't know it's possible it's an error on wikipedia it's possible she was just in the background because there was a bunch of zombies if they filmed it all at the same time i could say yeah sure but i just i didn't notice her that opening shot was really sweet too that kind of over almost like satellite bird's eye view that that spiraled down and and got a close-up of the you know kind of the remnants of the battle and everything that was going on that was I'm sure that probably wasn't uh, a super cheap shot as as far as, like, production value to make. And it's a pretty much a direct um, reflection of the end shot from the pilot. And I believe yes, right. also possibly the first shot of episode 102, but I can't remember for sure. Or, or a shot in 402, at least. I honestly, like, there's a split second where I'm like, are we going to a flashback here to the tank? Because yeah. I really did, from the point of view it was using, I really thought it was like, wow, we were going back to the beginning for some reason. Then I realized immediately, it's like, oh, no, it's just the prison. But, yeah, it was it very much called to mind the pilot episode for yeah. sure. But, yeah, again, just very, like I said, for me, when Nicotero's directing, it, it's definitely a bright spot. I think he's, from from a, a quality standpoint of the episode, whether or not, the writing is actually solid enough. When Nicotero directs, I don't know, he just he really just, in my mind, has a good eye for, for the show. Uh, and I really think moving forward he could be uh, a successful director, whether he sticks with TV or whether he moves to film or, or whatever the case may be. I think, I think he's definitely a hidden talent in that area. 
Well, and the really nice thing about Nicotero's directing is, you know, he's such a technical guy with the background in special effects that you know he's going to get all the zombie stuff right, all the cool shots with, you know, the more technical things right. But what you might not expect, and what I've always appreciated about his work on the show, is he also seems to work with actors really well. And lots of times directors are good with one or the other, but he seems to have a good grasp of both. Yeah, you look at kind of his back credits of the various episodes he's been involved in, and he has... I mean, he's taken a lot of the more character-focused episodes as opposed to ones with, you know, large-scale zombies. He certainly has had ones like, the, I mean, the opening episode of the season is has that giant zombies falling from the ceiling of the, the grocery store sequence. But, I mean, he, he does episodes that tend to have a lot of, uh, you know, character development going on. And it's I, I, I wouldn't say that he takes the zombie stuff for granted because it always looks good on this show. But it certainly feels like it's second nature enough to him where he can do that without having to, you know, stress himself out too much and worry more about the actual drama of the episodes. And this episode, despite the fact that there was some really cool zombie stuff with Michonne and with Carl and stuff as well, was pretty much exclusively character development with mostly Rick and Michonne, but also a little bit, or um, mostly Carl and Michonne, but also a little bit with Rick as well. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of Rick and Carl, we then cut to Carl and Rick as they're walking down a country road. Uh, Carl is leading the way and Rick, who is still, you know, just a hair's breadth away from being dead, is limping along and keeps yelling at Carl to slow down. And Carl is not particularly happy with his dad. I like the fact that we're seeing somebody that was involved in a fight and actually looks like they were involved in a fight. You know, too many times in movies or TV, you see somebody that just gets the crap kicked out of them. And, you know, it's like, oh, maybe they've got a bloody nose or maybe they're a bloody lip or they, you know, spit some blood. Uh, But the fact that they're going out of their way to show that Rick is going to have some long, probably intermediate term repercussions of trying to recuperate from from the fight with the governor, I think is is kind of a breath of fresh air in, in, you know, film or TV. I watched these episodes with a group of friends when they come on on Sunday, and one of my friends kept thinking that there was a zombie somewhere in the background every time Rick was on the screen because he was wheezing so much and he couldn't <laughs> figure it out. No, I, I totally get that, because when I was watching the episode, uh, I kept thinking, particularly when they're in the house later on, I kept thinking, is there a zombie right outside the door, and why aren't they dealing with it? Um, but no, like you're, you're exactly right, it was Rick that whole time. Or mostly, except for when the point someone there yeah. actually were zombies outside the front door. Yeah. But no, I agree completely for us. I do think the, I mean, the makeup job and just the kind of the depict what, what Andrew Lincoln's bringing to the, you know, wounded Rick presence, it works. It's very effective. It looks like he's, he's pretty much defeated. And there's certainly the elements of, I've lost everyone around me except for my son. And what do, what the hell do I do now? But I mean, it's, it's all there. It's all, you know, it all, it's all on the screen. Yeah. He's beat up on all ends. I mean, like you said. He's beat up physically, he's beat up emotionally, he's just, like, literally at the end of his rope, and it and it definitely plays out. So it just, uh, again, just, just good job taking that risk, not, you know, basically beating up, a, you know, allowing a character to, to kind of exist like that. So Rick and Carl eventually make their way to a diner, I believe it was called Joe and Joe Jr.'s Diner, a nice name for a diner, um, and they start searching for some food. They find a single walker um, barricaded behind some furniture, and it appears, based on a note that they find, that this is Joe Sr., uh, or I'm assuming that uh, Joe Sr. is a senior, and uh, they're not just two people named Joe when one happens to have a dad named Joe as well. But that aside, uh, Rick wants to kill it with his axe. He tries. He gets it into the zombie's head. 
uh, but the zombie keeps coming at him, and so Carl shoots it in the head, uh, despite Rick's pr- protestation, and uh, Rick is not particularly happy that Carl has wasted a bullet, but as Carl points out, hey, if you couldn't do it, somebody had to. It's the noise, too, that I thought was a problem, where it's like, okay, we're just going to draw more walkers in if we're going to be shooting guns off, and we can find plenty of things to, you know, stab them with. But, yeah, I, the scene, like, the, and, like, it's going to continue on throughout scenes with freaking Carl. Carl's obviously angry. We're going we're gonna to get to plenty of that as we go on. And, like, part of me wants to, like, yell at this child, but the other half just gets what's happening. And I get why these scenes are playing out the way they are. And there's a level of frustration there between both of them that just keeps kind of emerging more and more as this episode goes on. And I particularly like that for at least most of the episode, neither character is really right. They're both making some pretty strong, um, strongly poor choices in the way they're communicating with each other, which is always nice. So you can't just go, oh, that annoying kid Carl or come on, dad, why don't you listen to your son? It's, It's both of them need to take a chill pill, but understandably. So they continue along down the road after they search uh, the diner for food. They find some food, and this is the first of two times, I believe, Carl will say to his dad, I win, because he found more food, or just because he found pickles, and they both really like pickles. I don't know. And they uh, they continue along, and then they find an abandoned house with uh, apparently no walkers in it, and they take shelter inside. Yeah, he says, I win, yeah, because he clearly had the bigger haul, and uh, he says it later on to a walker. He doesn't say it to Rick again. Oh, right, no, he's just the second time he says it in the episode. Just to back up for a second, when Rick hit that walker over the head, did it seem like it should have been enough to kill him? I think, from what it was showing me, I think it was a mix of Rick is a bit weaker, and he just kind of didn't quite knock it in the noggin in the right place with his (laughs) his, his little axe. He just didn't quite hit the right spot to crack the skull completely and hit the brain. Yeah, that's the one thing in this episode I kind of noticed, and we'll see it come up with Carl, too, where there's a few instances where it seemed like they were hitting the zombie hard enough to kill it, you know, put it down by hitting it in the head, and it didn't seem to quite do it. And I know part of that was just to accentuate the fact that Rick is weak because he's, you know, because he's so beat up, and Carl is not quite as strong as he thinks he is. I mean, I, I think it was maybe for dramatic effect that they did that, but it just, it seemed a little inconsistent to me. Well, when you have Michonne, like, easily slicing off the heads of 40 different zombies in one episode, I can see how that stands yeah. out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, def- I definitely can see it as, yeah, obviously they have to kind of milk the drama a bit to make it work for what the episode's going for, but I, I wouldn't say that I had a problem. Like, I-, I-, I can see why the things happened as they did, where, like, Rick just, just didn't hit it right. Like, <laughs> and-, and Carl's... Just, you know, he, he picks up a lamb and hits a zombie. Didn't quite smash it the way he needs to. Like, I, I can I can see those things happening in this fantasy zombie world, I yeah. guess. I was able to... I mean, it didn't make me to, shake... To kind of put it It away. didn't make me shake my fist at the TV or anything, but it's just something that could, just kind of stuck with me a little bit. I like the viewers that did shake their fist at the TV. Like, what? Ah, walking dead? You know there was a bunch. So we then cut back to Michonne and her two walkers, and uh, she comes up on the same road that we first saw Carl and Rick on, and she notices their footprints in the mud, but she, at this time at least, does not decide to follow them. She heads off into the woods with her walkers. We then cut back to Rick and Carl, and uh, Rick is unconscious, you know, because of the injuries and just being tired, and uh, Carl tries to wake him up, and Rick does not respond at all. Uh, Carl starts yelling at him. And that's when uh, two walkers outside are alerted, and they start uh, they start trying to claw their way in through the front door. So Carl goes out the back door and l- lures them away from the house. We had seen this, I think, back 
This is probably from that, um, you know, next season or next half of the season on The Walking Dead trailer we saw at the end of the first half of the season or the first clip we saw on Talking Dead. But we'd seen this before of, of Carl kind of half walking backwards, half um, half turning around and wa- watching where he's going as he leads the two walkers away. And uh, this is that scene right there. Um, and he, he leads them away a pretty good distance. But then a third walker comes out from behind a barn of some type or a building of some type. And surprises him, so he gets knocked down. Uh, the three zombies are coming at him. He tries to shoot them all. Um, he gets the first two, but the third one he hits with a glancing blow, kind of, I guess, an ear shot, if you will, um, instead of a, a full-on brain hit. And uh, the zombie falls on top of him, so he's being co- you know covered up by three zombies, and he eventually kills the third one, and uh, and then gets up and pukes. We talked about how the opening shot reminded me of the, of the right reminded us of the pilot episode. This scene reminded me of uh, 18 Miles Out, where Rick has the bodies kind of piling on top of him as he's yes, taking yes. them out one at a time. Carl kind of follow, following in his father's footsteps, unwittingly. What was? What do you think Carl, like, if, if the other, like, Walker didn't, didn't, like, encounter him from behind, what do you think Carl's overall plan was for backing and backing and backing up? I mean, I would assume it goes back to what you said before about the noise. He wouldn't want to shoot a gun right where his dad is. You know, mm-hmm. if you can do it a football's field, uh, you know, away, at least the zombies will be drawn to that spot instead of where you actually are. Um, assuming he was going to shoot them and not, you know, try to trap them somewhere inside of a building or something. Um, I guess we'll never know because he didn't get that far. Yeah, that's. I took it yeah. as that as well that he was just trying to lead them far enough away to where if he shot them, they wouldn't be a swarm on top of them. Yeah, that's kind of what I took away. I was just seeing if you guys kind of felt the same. We, should, we kind of missed over. We hit over this a bit. Um, before um, Rick was basically unconscious and Carl and him were still kind of going at it, um, he, there's the point where they're, you know, locking the door. And, um, and oh, Carl, yeah. Like, Carl, Carl ties the knot and Rick is going for, like, the, the couch approach. And, but Carl's like, it's a strong knot. Uh, whatever kind of knot. It's I a clove hitch. That was a clove hitch, I believe. Clo- clove hitch? Clove hitch. And, uh, and then he's like, Shane taught me. And it was like, wow. <laughs> Carl, Carl's reach, reaching for, for cutting his father now with dropping the Shane bomb. And not only did he say, Shane taught me, he's like, you remember him, don't you? Yeah. It was like, I just kicked you Rick's in the like, stones yeah. twice, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know if anybody else saw Talking Dead, but they actually said that in the script it was Dale taught me. But on, when they were shooting it, the actors and Greg Nicotero all kind of came to the conclusion at the same time that this should really be Shane and not Dale. This will really yeah. twist that knife a little bit, a little bit harder. I agree. That, oh, yeah. that is the correct dialogue that they should have used. Yes, it's just another good because we're going to get to Chandler Riggs on his own in a bit. But like that was just another good scene of highlighting the kind of state of mind both of these guys, these people are in, and like where they're while they they're kind of saying things that they Shane or Carl at least is saying something that. He knows he's going to hurt his father with, but he'll likely regret in the long run. It's just, it's interesting to watch this kind of turn in the relationship between father and son with all this stuff that's happened. Right. Uh, So after Carl kills those three zombies, he returns to the house and his dad is still, you know, uh, completely passed out. And so he stands there next to his dad and starts talking to him and starts yelling at him, saying, all this is Rick's fault. He, you know, he failed to protect the prison. He failed to protect, you know, the group. He failed to protect Lori and Judith. And what about, you know, me, Dad? I just killed three zombies. No problem. You know, I had it under control. You didn't. It's your fault because you made us be farmers and all this kind of stuff. You weren't there to stand up and protect the group like you needed to. This is all on you. And uh, Rick, of course, still unconscious, does not respond. And then Carl says he doesn't need him anymore, and he would be fine if Rick died. 
pretty hardcore, man. I mean, that's the part that I was like, man, this is really, we're getting like whiny baby Carl, and it's like it was being put on so thick. And in the moment, I was, it just really kind of stood out. But as we get to the end, I, I think it was actually very well done that they did it this way, so the, the end had the payoff that it did. Yeah, I def- I agree for the most part. I do because I I was so warm on this episode because of how it was visually telling the story. I didn't mind as much like key sequences of dialogue such as this because I think Chandler Riggs, I think he was selling it pretty well. I get I get it's kind of a magnification of teen angst and him just really just throwing it all out there and it's a bit much. But yeah, as the episode does kind of reach the places it goes to, I could I was certainly more on board with it and I just I was into this episode enough already where it was like, yeah, all right, I I I, I like see I want to see where this goes, so I'll I can I can allow this. <laughs> I can I can let I can let him just deliver these 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 hateful words and see what comes of it, which led to just scene after scene of Carl realizing how much of an idiot he is. <laughs> <laughs> so we then head to commercial. And I was watching this on time delay. I was watching it on the DVR because for some reason my family wanted to watch the Olympics. I don't get it. Whatever. But, uh, so I'm watching it on the DVR. It goes to commercial. I start hitting the uh, the forward button. And I'm like, man, this commercial is going a long time. When I realize, oh no, <laughs> I'm in the episode? So I had to back up. <laughs> and uh, my confusion was, I think, at least warranted because uh, it's pre-apocalypse. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess it's a flashback. It's a Michonne flashback. And she is talking to two men who we eventually come to learn are her, quote, lover, or I guess boyfriend, uh, Mike, and their friend Terry. Uh, they're all kind of in a really, really nice house, um, you know, just discussing a night out at a museum, and I guess, they went to, and uh, whether it was a bit overplayed or a bit, you know, you know uh, cheesy or whatever. And then we also get to see, for the first time confirmed, that Michonne had a son. I don't think we ever get a name. I think she just calls him Peanut. I'm assuming yep. that's not his given name. And then things start getting a little weird. Uh, she's washing some some silverware, and she's washing a large knife, and then all of a sudden, it's the katana. And in a cool visual effect, she then goes to put it in the knife block, and it goes all the way in, which I thought was really cool. It's kind of obvious how they did it, but still a really neat effect. And then Mike and Terry are all of a sudden in more raggedy post-apocalyptic clothes, and she's still dressed very nicely, and there's some blood on Mike and Terry, and things keep going, and then they're talking about surviving, and how, you know, they don't know what they're supposed to do, it looks like the group that they're in currently is going to fall apart, she still looks very nice, but they're still all bloody, and then by the end of it, their jaws and arms are gone, and then she wakes up asleep in a car. So not a flashback, but a dream sequence. An awesome... Yeah, this was... I'm sorry, go go ahead, Aaron. It was awesome, I agree. Like, it's this whole... This this episode has a number of things I just don't see often. One is humor, which we'll get to, but another is just kind of something jarring that's not something that you generally see on the show, which is, you know, grim depictions of the world and unrest and complications. Here is like a, a dream sequence. We've seen flashbacks, but we haven't had a, like a dream. We've the closest we've got is Rick dealing with uh, you know, Lori on the phone and and uh, everybody like Daryl and Merle. Oh yeah, yeah, the Chupacabra. Yeah, I forgot about that one. But this is like a full-on dream sequence, and I dug it. I agree. I agree. I was, I was, um, I fast-forwarded a little bit, a little bit through it as I was watching it because I didn't realize what was happening. Then I backed up, and 
just going through these little details that started changing, it's like, this is a trip. I, I like the show doing that. I don't need to see dream sequences all the time, and it certainly could rub you the wrong, rub you the wrong way if I continue to see dream sequences in a show like this, but for the placement they had and for the character it applied to who we you know don't know enough about i was really satisfied by it and it looked it was just a really well executed sequence of this series and did a lot to expand upon the show and i just i dug this whole scene when the scene started i was i was fine with it and then before things started getting you know like obviously dream sequence i was like man the tone of this scene is very strange like something's off i'm not really digging it the acting seems weird and not quite natural and then yeah. by the end i was like oh that's right, it's not supposed to be natural, and the tone is supposed to feel weird because it's a dream sequence. So, even though I started a little bit shaky on it, by the end I was like, that's one of the cooler things I've seen on this show. Yeah, I was really happy with how that uh, you know, ended up turning out. And it kind of served two purposes, because it it served as kind of a nice break in this you know, action between Rick and Carl, and what was going on there. And it also served as kind of a flashback opportunity, because... I, while it was a, a dream sequence, I, I mean, I think the principles involved and in, in the environment was probably her remembering what it was before this all broke out. So it's just really, and it had just kind of like a weird, like late seventies, early eighties sitcom feel. Like I was, I was almost expecting a laugh track to be going off in the background, you know, because Michonne was just like really light and airy, just kind of uh, whimsical almost. Yeah, like you can certainly like. When I first thought it was a flashback, she said she said the phrase, it felt rather pedestrian. And I was like, all right, let's see where this goes. That doesn't seem like anything even in post or pre-apocalyptic Michonne would ever say, but I, I can see where this goes from here. But yeah, then it just kept going and going, and I really just dug the the surreal nature of all of it. Where, yeah, I agree, Russ. It obviously is drawing from things that Michonne has experienced and just kind of co- combining them into this weird dream sequence. But, I mean, it's coming from her past history and it's certainly informing us on things that have happened to her via weird combination of these those those two guys who are obviously became her pets right and then the son that we figured that she probably like that she we figured she probably had a child based on a previous episode but now we you know we know for sure like all these things just mesh together and it was just this this really interesting scene and the intercuts were just very clever i mean they were just really well done and just how the tone kept getting more dire you know at first everybody's you know having fun and everybody's you know bright and cheery and then michonne pretty much stays that way and then you know the two guys you know little by little every time we cut back to them you know obviously they get more like you're saying jordan they get more rugged and then you know they're kind of injured and and then you know get all the way to the point where they have no arms and no jaw and uh i I just think that sequence has been like is one of the highlights of this show as a whole like i think I, i think this may be one of those Maybe not episodes, you know, like, like, uh, you know, like with Buffy, you look back on like Hush or once more with, Phil, you know, like there's always episodes in a TV show that people point to and be like, that's the one. Um, and maybe the Zeppo uh, do what the Zeppo would be one of my favorite Buffy ones. Yeah. Or like, you know, Jose Chung's from outer space, like from the x you know, or tombs, you know, most of those genre shows always have that or 33 from Battlestar. They always have that one episode that people just like point to and say, that's what this show is. And and like I said, I don't know that this will be in the episode in its entirety, but I think that sequence is one of those, like, when people look back on this show when it's done, I think that's going to be one of the sequences that people look back on and go, that was really sweet, and it was really slick, you know, done very sl- in, in a slick manner. Yeah. 
So after uh, Michonne wakes up, uh, she continues walking along with her pets into the woods, and she's joined slowly but surely by a herd of walkers, and we see pretty quickly that one of them is made to to resemble her, uh, kind of a zombie doppelganger, and I, I need your input here, guys. Do you prefer Zoppelganger or Walkerganger? Zoppelganger. Okay, so her 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 zoppelganger, as she's just starting to become part of a zombie herd, just kind of at the center of it. Yeah, she was uh, she got along well in that herd. Good, <laughs> she, she made her made her presence pretty easy. Yeah, and it's cool to see how effective the pets are. Like we've always been told how they work in the show, but I don't think we've ever really seen it used to this effect of how well they work as um, not zombie deterrent, but just as camouflage, basically. Yeah, yeah, and again, I think that was more of those things that was done more for artistic effect than maybe how it's been portrayed in the show. Because I mean, the, you know, the the characters have definitely walked among or tried to walk amongst the zombies and and have been attacked. Now I don't know if she maybe rubbed some of them off on her or whatever, but th- that was I mean that didn't bother me because that wasn't the point. I mean, the point of that of that sequence was to show that at this moment in time she's as lifeless and wandering and just roaming through life as all of these walkers. I mean, it was, it was definitely meant to illustrate that point. And then with the, with the Zoppelganger, with her looking over again, I just hats off to Nicotero and I, I guess Kirkman too, because he, you know, he wrote it, but it, it just, it really, really worked. And it, it's, it's one of those things I think it would be easy to pick it apart, but just given the tone and where that character's headspace is, it just really played well. I agree that it um, it almost seemed too easy that she was able to just get yeah. two new zombies on the fly, do what you needed to do, and then blend in right away. When you see, yeah, when you go back to like season one, you have Rick and Glenn just pouring guts on themselves in order to just make an effort to try and blend in. But yeah, I agree that it, given what we're supposed to be taking taking away from Michonne's situation, I. I I like that we just kind of got sped up that process and just went for what matters. So we then cut back to Rick and Carl. Uh, Rick, of course, still being unconscious on the couch. And Carl goes on a supply trip to a nearby house. And so he scouts the downstairs and he uh, finds some food. And then he finds the piste de resistance, a, I believe it was 112-ounce can of chocolate pudding on top of a cabinet. So score. Awesome. He heads upstairs and is, you know, searching the rooms. And uh, he opens one door, and all of a sudden, there's a walker. Uh, he tries to take it out. He keeps failing. He keeps failing. Uh, the zombie grabs him. Um, he, you know, he's crawling into one room. He can't quite get the door shut because it's blocked by some books. And he's panicking. He's trying to get out the window, but the window won't open. And eventually, he gets the zombie trapped in the door. Um, he loses his shoe. Or he, it's a zombie trapped in the room. He loses his shoe. He makes it outside, picks up a piece of chalk, and writes on the door... Dead inside, or Walker. Well, it's a, I wrote it down. Walker inside, got my shoe, didn't get me. Which I thought was a very cute moment. <laughs> and uh, then the next time we see Carl, he's sitting on the, what do you call it? He's sitting on the roof, but what do you call the roof of a lower section of a house like that? An Eve? Like an awning? I don't know. Eve or awning? Well, he's sitting on top of the first floor roof, um, eating the chocolate pudding right out of the can as the zombie's inside the room still trying to get at him but failing. A nice little moment. I was I was waiting for the uh, the Wonder Years theme to start playing, yeah. and then Daniel Stern would start narrating what was happening. 
that was a fun little kind of capper to that scene where you don't get that often. You know, just a nice play on what the situation is. Where <laughs> we should mention, speaking of nice little moments, when Carl tries to get into the house, he uh, he attempts to run, jump, and throw himself through the front door to open it, like he might have seen adults do, either in real life or you know, pre-zombie apocalypse on TV or in movies. And he bounces off the door like a Super Bowl, which was very, very funny. One of the few actually laugh out loud moments I've had while watching the show ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hilarious. And and another (laughs) moment, I think, to kind of help put the capper for him that he's not as self-sufficient as he may think he is. You know, that he thinks he's all Billy Badass at this point. And, you know, here he is, thinks he's going to go kick the door in. He's got the sheriff's hat on. And that totally backfires on him. Um, But... Carl's definitely my hero in this episode for eating all 112 ounces of chocolate pudding because that's that's a feat, <laughs> man. I would love to be able to just sit down, especially because you know he probably hasn't eaten for a couple days, so he's probably hungry as all get out. Part of me thought that maybe the reason he threw up earlier was because those the the cornflakes or whatever he ate were were bad, because um, he's seen some pretty nasty stuff and hasn't thrown up. Uh, so then he has that 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 huge can of pudding and i'm like you go carl you eat it all (laughs) and the fact that the zombie hand is coming out of the window just like waving at him while he's just not a care in the world with the spoon in the in the pudding i thought was just a nice topper yeah yeah so after that carl returns to the house where rick is he goes to sleep next to his father and he wakes up in the middle of the night and then uh he hears rick wheezing he turns around, and it appears that Rick has died and is coming back as a zombie. Um, so Carl runs over to grab a gun. Rick, I wouldn't even say crawls, but falls off of the couch onto the ground and starts crawling towards uh, Carl with his arm outstretched like he's trying to uh, grab him. And Carl tries to shoot him in the head. He points the gun, but he cannot bring himself to draw, to shoot his own dad. And he says that, you know, despite all this tough talk earlier, he you know he's still scared and he can't do it. And he even turns his head and offers his neck to Rick to basically say, I can't do this alone. Take me with you. But eventually it's revealed that Rick is not a zombie. He's just incredibly weak. And he calls out to his son, confirming he's still alive. Rick tells Carl he's glad Carl scavenged additional supplies. And uh, and he says, you know, despite their differences and despite everything they've been through, Carl is a man now. The, the scene didn't fool me for a second with him, you know, Rick. Oh, of course that, not, of course that, not. Yeah, that, I mean, it, and I wouldn't really think it was trying to that much, but I, I bought into Carl's belief that his father was gone, and I enjoyed how it played out once Andrew again. Lincoln does a convincing zombie. Yeah. Yeah. Even if in the meta narrative we know there's no chance he is one. Yeah, how messed up is that, that Carl, knowing he had to put his own mother down after she gave birth like that, that he couldn't do it to his own father after... And at that point, I mean, I'm pretty sure Carl was convinced that Rick was gone and zombified. And, you know, I, th- I think it's like you said, part of it was, I think at that point, if, if Rick, you know, he, at this point, um, Lori is dead. Judith is presumed dead. They're pretty sure she's dead. For, for Carl, everybody else is gone. They're split up. If Rick were to succumb to it, I think part of it was him and his dad, despite their butting heads have a very 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 strong bond and part of it was i think like you said it's just carl giving up just like okay mom's gone judith's gone you're gone there there's nothing left for me like there's no reason for me to go on i obviously based on what's happened i can't do it by myself i can't do it alone i have to have you helping me it was just really powerful like i said i think the whole rick 
whether he was a zombie or wasn't a zombie, I think was irrelevant at that point. I mean, like like you said, we I no I don't think the audience was fooled, but given the circumstances, it was fully plausible that that Carl would believe that. Uh, you know, it's it's just his reaction to it and 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 how he decided to to handle the situation. I think that was so uh, so well done. I agree. So we cut back to Michonne, and she's still walking around with the ever increasing number of zombie herd. Before we get too far down there, can I just interlude real quick and, and quick tangent off to the side? Go ahead. I guess I've already done it, so it's too late. Um, <laughs> the, Deny. The craziest moment of this whole ep- this whole episode, and I was watching it on the DVR as well, but it wasn't even the episode itself. It was the preview for the new AMC series Game of Arms. Did you guys see that? Yes, I wrote this down. I put. This I wrote this down notes. in my notes. I wrote Game of Arms. I was. I, <laughs> now, I, I saw it go by on the DVR, but I didn't watch it. Was it laughably bad or laughably awesome? Uh, it's no, <laughs> it's not awesome, but it's it's the kind of it's the kind of thing where it's like AMC is going to have an arm wrestling reality series on it. And my friend even said American movie. I was just oh like, oh that one. Like, I was thinking the Revolutionary War. No, show. this is like oh no, this is yeah, like over the top the reality show. Yeah, I I know what you're referring to now. I had the two shows confused. In my I head. was just. Yeah, no, this is the arm wrestling show, and my god, I, I completely wrote it out of my notes because I wanted to bring it up at some point. I'm so glad <laughs> Russ decided to make this tangent, because that's a thing that's happening. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? Anyway, so I was like, this is just really, like, okay, comic book men, I get it, right? You know, it, it just fits with the theme of what they're trying to do. They they pair it up with Walking Dead. It's kind of a geek genre thing. They You know, it's it's with Talking Dead. Makes sense, right? But this thing, I was just like, what the hell is... Th- I don't even know what this is. Like, this is something I would expect to see on, like, Bravo or TLC or... Next up, Honey Boo Boo, yeah, and after that, yeah. Game of Arms. Spike or IFC, I would go with. Anyway, so sorry, I didn't mean to derail us, but, but like uh, like Aaron, I just I literally have Game of Arms, question mark, WTF, arm, ref- arm, yeah. arm wrestling preview. That, that was my note. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just made sure to write it down just so I knew it would be <laughs> good to know I wasn't alone. Can't wait to start that podcast, <laughs> yeah. Game of Arms, the GOA TV yes. podcast. So uh, Michonne still with the herd. She she keeps you know looking at that one Zoppelganger, and she keeps giving it kind of sideways glances, and eventually it gets too close, and she I don't I don't think snaps is the right word, but maybe snaps out of it is the is the best way to yeah. put it. And she uh, she takes that zombie out pretty brutally, and then she goes into a extended sequence of just decapitating berserker zombie. Rage. Yeah, berserker rage, decapitating zombie after zombie after zombie. It was an awesome sequence of just decapitation after decapitation, and, and filmed really well. Um, and she, by the end of it, is just standing in not quite a pile, but just she's surrounded by zombie corpses. Yeah. Yeah, that was just yeah. She knows she knows that event. Yeah, that was a whole lot of awesome. I mean, I don't know how much more you could say, but uh, that was just a, a really cool sequence to to see play. It, it seemed like to me there were a lot more zombies around her than we saw the pile, and and that she actually killed. But I, again, I, I don't I don't want to harp on the negative. It was just really cool to see her. I think they were more spread out. Maybe though, so. Once they were yeah. killed, they were all kind of in the same yeah. area. But it, it was just yeah, thirty seconds of awesome. So I, I don't uh, I don't begrudge it at all. It's a good, like, and this is a, I mean, because as much as I like Chandler Riggs in this episode, I do think Chandler Riggs did a good job as Carl, given that he's given a lot to do that isn't just like, I'm going to kill people and be very stoic about it, or I'm going to, you know, go leave the house. 
uh, well, he did leave the house actually, but I mean, this is, as much as it's Carl's episode, I think Denia Guerrera does a tremendous job as Michonne. I mean, she's she's playing when in the you know the in the present reality, she's certainly playing the quiet badass that you know was somewhat irked us in the past. But there's you know there's a level of there's a there's a there's a there's a dimension to it. It has some shading because you know more about this person now. That dream sequence obviously helps, yeah. but I mean this season's done a pretty good job of giving you more of Michonne in a different light. A Michonne who has people that care about her and people that she can care about, objectives that she could reach, and you know why. Um, you know even the stuff with Andrea. Like you get you you have enough to know about Michonne at this point where it's nice to have an episode like this that not only adds further you know elements to her character but gives you a way to see what she's going through based on what we've seen from her so far and it's just it's a it's a it's a good job it's nice to it's nice to have an episode like this with a lot of breathing room for just three characters so you get to see who they are more because the episode has time to do that rather than having them all together and then trying to do so much with so little yeah. time and it looks like at least next week will be the same thing with other characters hopefully we get you know, three, maybe even four episodes, you know, focusing on the different groups. It's kind of funny because we've, I think, collectively been a fan of when they decide to do this instead of every five minutes jumping around to a different set of characters, especially when they're spread out, as opposed to taking the time to focus and just giving us good, solid character development. uh, We've been kind of a fan of. I think we were a little split when they did it with the governor, but I think that's just because it was the governor and, and they decided to, to, to kind of dredge that up again. But, but in the past when they've done this, we tend to be been a fan. So it, it sounds like, like you said, Jordan, the next episode I think is going to be more of the same. And, and my guess would probably be at least, at least one or two more episodes of that. So definitely hitting on, on all cylinders for, for this crowd. I look forward to, you know, seeing more episodes that are like this one, but that said, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that like we all, I don't think any of us are saying that we all need them all to be separate all the time right. or have more focus. Right. It's just, it's a matter of, it's a matter of what works for the show. And currently in this form with the characters having been split up because of what happened with the plot of the series, it makes sense. And I'm glad that they're embracing that fact when they get all together I can only hope that, you know, because we've had we've seen them all apart, putting them together, it doesn't matter as much from a character standpoint, even though that'll still be a part of it. But it'll be more of a plot standpoint of what to do with these people now that they're back together after having given us time to kind of reflect on who they are separately. So, I mean, it it's just it's a good path that they're going on so far if they do, in fact, kind of proceed with a couple more episodes that are like this one. Agreed. So after Michonne kills all the zombies... She uh, kind of speaks into the ether and says, uh, you know, to Mike, her, you know, her boyfriend, that he was wrong and she's found a reason to live. And then uh, she returns to Rick and Carl's trail that she had passed before, and uh, she she catches up to where they are at the house. She actually uh, finds the pudding can at first and has a nice reaction to that. And then she uh, comes up to the house they're in, looks through the window, and sees Rick and Carl sitting there after they've kind of come to terms with with their storyline. And uh, I love Denai Guerrero's reaction here to that. The way not only her lips are trembling, but like her eyelids are spasming in just, you know, happy tears. I don't know a better way to explain it, but the, the reaction she gives, the performance there was just awesome. It's an, it's nice to see that Michelle, you know, obviously chose the better path, which was a path as opposed to no path, um, and which led to them, which led her to Rick and Carl, but... I mean, it all just works with what she had to do throughout this episode, which was, you know, decide to 
fight for having something to fight for, I guess, as opposed to just becoming one of the crowd, to be very literal with that statement, but one of the crowd amidst, you know, dead walkers and being a loner. Um, she's instead she she wants she wants to have something and she had she had the choice earlier on and she didn't take it she thought about it and and you know the most aggressive way possible decided you know what i do want this i want to have people in my life i want to i want to have something to you know be it's hopeful and that's that's a lot of what i like about this episode it's 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 hopeful overall like as but it's like a lot of the episodes depending regardless of how much i like them or dislike them they follow into the a, a pattern of everything's very grim and things are going things are going to get worse and you got to be careful and all that this is one of the few episodes where there is you know a level of hope to it that i really responded to i enjoyed that well, well her storyline really illustrates the central thesis of the show and comic that at least in the comic was very clearly spelled out in a monologue from rick but, you know, the whole thing of we are the walking dead. It's the humans who are left alive after the apocalypse. They are the walking dead. The walking dead does not refer to the zombies or the walkers or whatever you want to call them. It's the people. And I think we really saw that illustrated well in this episode with her story. Um, so she she has that great reaction of seeing them inside. And then she goes up to the door and knock. And, of course, Rick and Carl think it's a zombie. So they get ready. And then Rick looks out the peephole. And uh, he kind of collapses, uh, smiling, and starts to laugh. He turns to Carl and says, it's for you, which I thought was another great capper to the whole episode. So many great beginning and ending scenes in this episode, and that was right up there with the rest of them. Such a good ending. I think they probably just thought it was some kind of trouble. Not, I mean, zombies don't knock, right? Uh, <laughs> well, I guess that's true, but it could have still been, you know, a zombie clawing at the door that sounded like knocking. But I, you, you're absolutely right. Yeah. But no, I agree. It's a great ending. I love the last line. It's the kind of line that reminds me of something like, like Nebraska. Like Nebraska I get like I don't even remember if Nebraska ends on the. I don't think it actually ends on Rick just shooting. It's like the ending dead, of "There Will it, Be Blood." I'm finished. <laughs> it just yeah. It, it's a nice cab overall. And again, it's it's it has kind of a hopeful spirit to it. It's a little bit more comedic than a lot of the other episodes. Like it just has a lot of things that make me like, <laughs> make me really enjoy watching the show and you know being a being able to talk about it as such because it's one of the times i get to be very positive because i was positive on this episode overall even like what was the one where like carol admitted that she or she claims that she killed um the two guys it was uh what isolate or was it isolation was that one or indifference it's indifference Uh, it's one of the eyes it was the third eye so i think that's i think that's indifference but that one just kind of remember how that one just kind of like ended just like flat out just like cut credits like it it was a little bothersome. I remember I recall Russ kind of mentioned it too at that time. This one just felt right. It felt like it had a nice nice closeout to it after all that we've seen. So before we get into our Buster ratings for the episode and the Nielsen ratings and uh, announce the winner of our awesome contest, uh, Russ, why don't you tell us about our wonderful sponsor? Our sponsor this week, as always, is Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCBService.com, where you can save a ton of money on your comics trade paperbacks, graphic novels, hardcovers, cool tchotchkes, all kinds of of great stuff at dcbservice.com. Some of the Walking Dead stuff uh, special this month, All Out War is coming to an end. So this is the big battle that's been raging, uh, causing the Walking Dead for its 10th anniversary to go twice monthly. Uh, So issues 125 and 126, uh, which finish off the All Out War story, you can get for 40% off at $1.79 each. Uh, which is a great value. And then, as always, there are tons of just uh, T-shirts and uh, pint glasses and all kinds of uh, cool stuff that you could pick up there uh, at dcbservice.com. Um, 
as always, the Marvel and DC, all of the, the new uh, trades and hardcovers uh, are on special at 50% off. There's a really cool Valiant sale they've got going on. You can get all of all eight of the monthly Valiant books for half off. They don't mind late orders. We're getting... Uh, we're still in the early parts of February, so you got plenty of time to get your February orders in at DCB Service. Uh, don't forget, too, you can link up your Comixology account and earn 5% back towards future purchases. So uh, if you're into the digital and want to take advantage of that and then wait for your favorite hardcover or trade, maybe maybe you like to read The Walking Dead and trade, and you can uh, get your other stuff digital, and then when that comes out, you can uh, save up those credits to help pay for that trade paperback at Discount Comic Book Service. So again, uh, check it out, dcbservice.com, uh, Discount Comic Book Service. We thank them for their support of The Walking Dead TV podcast. Thank you very much, Russ. So... Buster ratings for this week's episode, gentlemen. What are you going to give it, Aaron? Your name starts with A, so why don't you go first? I give it a four and a half out of five busters. I love this episode quite a bit. I think it, it's at least tied for my favorite episode of the season so far. Uh, just very good all around. I've emphasized my points already, but yeah, just a strong, strong episode. Really good start to the this, this half of the season. I will give it four. Uh, just a very solid episode. Solid. Uh, the directing especially shined. Uh, the performances were solid. Uh, the, the only negative, I guess, that doesn't, you know, put it in the pantheon of like my favorite episodes. Uh, it, it was a little slow, and I mean, I get it; it needed to be slow given the story they were telling. But that just kind of uh, pulled it back for me. But again, that Michonne sequence was uh, was really awesome. But but again, just a really solid episode in in my mind. I'm actually going to go higher than both of you. I'm going to go solid five. There's nothing in this episode that stuck out to me as a problem. Um, I'd agree with you, Russ. It was slower than other episodes, but not slow for me. Like, it didn't bother me. Despite what Brad may think, slow movies and television shows do not uh, necessarily bother me. Um, and I really enjoyed the pace of this one and how it took its time getting to where it needed to get to. And I think it really did need to get there. Uh, Carl says early in the episode the phrase we've done this before to his dad and i think that was kind of the the thesis for this episode was yes rick and carl at least the the carl and and rick uh, a story we've done this before but this time we're doing it for good i think this is probably the capper to the rick and carl disagree about how much of an adult carl is um, storyline that's been going on since pretty much the beginning of the show. I think this is the we've done it before, but this time we're doing it right and we're doing it to end the discussion. Um, hopefully, at least. And just the whole thing for me fired on all cylinders. It was deliberate in getting where it needed to go, but it did so artfully and it did so in a really enjoyable way. So, five out of five for me. Watch your mouth. <laughs> Aaron, what did our listeners on Facebook think? Uh, well, we got uh, plenty of Facebook responses here on the old uh, Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook page. Which D- despite is always... the fact that I forgot to put up an official reactions thread because I just forgot. I'm out of practice. Uh, sorry. I, I tried to handle it. I put up my review, of course, which I do every week for the HHWLD site. And um, I just said, you know, put your reviews on your ratings under here. So everyone kind of chipped in. So here we go. Uh, Mike Jones gives it four pudding cups out of five. <laughs> the lack of the lack of dialogue added tension, which I really enjoyed. I felt Carl was overacting quite a bit. Channel Riggs is awesome, but felt but forced to time only highlighting a few characters. A smart move. Uh, it looks to be the format for the next few weeks. Michonne had a strong her strongest episode, and I love the dream sequence. Carl H has four and a half Herschel heads out of five. Love the dive into Michonne's backstory and the ending scene. Max has four and a half awesome flashbacks out of five. Strong comeback episode. 
Craig D. Four screaming wake-up calls out of five. A very Gimple-esque style episode that was beautifully directed by Nicotero. Roger A. Four walker piles for me. Good stuff to establish what my favorite characters are up to. Nice to get a big bit of backstory on Michonne. Looking forward to seeing more of the group next episode. Uh, Sarah. Four and a half zombie slaughtering Michonne's. I really love this episode. Great character work by both Carl and Michonne. The sparse dialogue was actually very effective in giving the actors room to work with as well as the way of building tension. Everend. Four busters. I had to listen to this on super low volume to not wake up the kids. As a result, it was almost zero dialogue, which was frustrating. I missed the dialogue from the flashbacks and what Rick said coming out of his near coma. But plenty of surprises, which I kind of squirmed through. Speaking of squirming through, I've got to say, when Carl finds the one zombie in the house and he opens the door and it just slams his way out, I literally Me jumped. Too. I don't generally jump at jump scares, but I did. I knew it was coming. It was a good and jump And I still scare. jumped. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. Right, right. There's just yeah. so many doors that you never know which one it's going to be, and that was the one. Uh, let's see. Robert N., four and a half big-ass cans of pudding out of five. I'm looking forward to watching this one again. It merely made me think. All through the episode, Carl swung from anger, loathing of Rick, bravado, sheer terror, incredible danger, twice, and even a kid moment with pudding. I would love a string of episodes like this focused on two or three or more, one as many of them remain as many of them remain apart for a little while, and it looks like I'll get my wish. Michael S. Five, wait, what? Inducing, but extremely well shot, dream flashback sequences out of five. Even found myself rewinding the DVR to get a better second look. Uh, Mary, 4.25, Shoes Left Behind. I really liked this episode, especially seeing more development from Michonne, which was sorely needed. Harold, I'm going to give it four unappreciative little bastards out of five. <laughs> I absolutely love Michonne's backstory, which was made better by her talking dead explanation that her new pack mules were the governor's guys. Huh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. Let's see, Luke Smith, four out of five. Great episode. So glad to have the show back. Uh, Shane, four Michonne Walker slaughters in a field out of five. I appreciated the dream sequence, although a season late. Felt the pacing was good and a nice contrast from ep- from episode eight. Uh, Vanessa, uh, didn't have a rating, but it just says, I can now sleep at night knowing that Her- Herschel's head isn't a zombie. Shalem, <laughs> um, four and a half wasted knock-knock joke opportunities out of five. I really enjoyed the nonverbal storytelling. Kudos to the director and, of course, Kirkman for the excellent writing. And finally, Leslie, four out of five pudding eaten Herschel heads out of five. Mmm. I am only being I am only being conservative with a four because I really like felt like it could have been a not good episode, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't, and I still have been giddy and wanting to go higher than a four, which I do. But that it might be due to the fact that it's been gone for so long. Yeah, so that's all the uh the buster ratings this week. A lot of a lot of fans of the episode overall. I don't, I don't, Nothing under a four. So, And it also did well in the Nielsen ratings. We got 15.8 million viewers, and it actually outperformed the Winter Olympics in adults 18 to 49, which is, of course, one of the most important demos there. And that 15.8 million viewers actually translates to a 7.9 rating, which means of all the people in the United States who had a television turned on at that time, 7.9% of them were watching The Walking Dead, which might not seem like a lot, but these days, that is an excellent, excellent number. So they came back to really good ratings, even against the juggernaut that I frankly don't understand, being the Olympics, but, you know, big, big view-getter, even against that, they did extremely, extremely well. Yeah, when you think of shows like NCIS, which is always considered, like, the top scripted drama on television, uh, which is, what, a 3.1, 2.9, somewhere in that range, so we're talking more than double the 
key demo numbers for you know the most popular television show on standard network television so pretty uh pretty incredible and uh talking dead had its highest rating premiere ever of course it did with uh, <laughs> 5.9 million viewers and uh, that was a 3.1 in the, in the ratings so that's awesome for them as well and I gotta say, Denai Guerrero was on the episode. She is a, I, th- I think we've said this before, but she is a striking woman. Yes, I agree. I saw like a, I saw, I watched her a couple minutes, and she was looking pretty good on the episode. Pretty, pretty good. So basically, Talking Dead has the same ratings in the demo as like NCIS. That's pretty incredible. That's amazing. <laughs> so before we close out the episode and look ahead towards next week's episode. We had an awesome contest. We had a bunch of uh, people enter that contest. And Russ, why don't you read us uh, about five or so of the entries we had before we pick a random winner. All right. We got some some response, and I want to thank everybody for indulging us in the contest. There will be more to come, maybe not on the show, maybe on Facebook, maybe on Twitter, maybe uh, just randomly announced here and there, uh, because we do have more sets of these books uh, to give out, but but remember, this is a set of all uh, four hardcover editions of the uh, Rise of the Governors, what I'll call the Rise of the Governor series. So it's Walking Dead: Rise of the Governor, Walking Dead: Road to Woodbury, Walking Dead: Follow the Governor Part One, and the Walking Dead: Follow the Governor Part Two, which technically doesn't release until March fourth. Uh, but the winner of this contest will actually be able to get this book in their hot little hands uh, several weeks ahead of schedule, which I think is is awesome. You can feel like a time traveler in the comfort of your own home. Exactly. They still don't have uh, Walking Dead meet the Flintstones, though. (laughs) That would be amazing. I've seen that, unfortunately. Again, the contest was uh, for for folks to send us what your three questions would be. So I'm just going to kind of read a few uh, random ones here and there. I'm not going to go through and read uh, every entry, but but I'll just pick pick some out. Uh, Rich sent in, uh, he said, what's in the briefcase? What's the Dharma Initiative? And who's Kaiser Sose? Which I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> uh, Terry Bernard, uh, what is the worst thing you had to do to survive? Uh, what kind of skills do you have that can help this help other survivors? Uh, and then I'll just read a couple random ones here. Are you alone? What did you do before all of this? And hungry? <laughs> Are you willing to surrender your weapons? Uh, what can you do to contribute to the group? How have you survived by yourself for so long? And Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the winning entry, again, we just picked these at random, so there was no, uh, uh, you know, bartering or any kind of craziness. We didn't have to fight over it. Uh, uh, we didn't have to arm wrestle over it either, so that would have been an awesome <laughs> tie-in, though, maybe. Should have thought ahead of that. Especially arm wrestling over Skype. I'm not sure how that works, but it sounds complicated. Yeah, Find out this ahead. summer on Game of Arms. <laughs> <laughs> A Skype match. We should have thought of that ahead of time. So the winner, again, chosen at random from all of the entries that we received, uh, was Dion. And his three questions were, who were you in a previous life? What are you in this life? Do you run, fight, guide, protect? And what will you be to us? Nice. Very existential. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, nice entries. So Dion... Congratulations. It, yeah, congrats. Yeah, congratulations, Dion. Uh, you won a set of all four hardcover editions of the book. Uh, if you send an email to comments at walkingdeadtv.com with your contact information, your mailing address, uh, and all that stuff, uh, Mr. Johnny M will be happy to mail those out to you. They'll probably come media mail because it's 
uh, cheap and, uh, and, and easy to take care of uh, here at the show. But again, really cool. We'll have more contests, so keep an eye on Twitter, keep an eye on Facebook, uh, keep listening to the show. Uh, this was kind of like an off-peak contest. Uh, so maybe, like I said, we've got several of these sets. We've also got uh, a signed paperback edition uh, by Mr. Bonanzinga. So maybe as we get towards the end of the season, there might be another chance to win some goodies. So uh, keep an nice. eye, yeah, keep an eye out in all the usual places uh, and figure out how you can win some cool swag. Right on. So we're going to close out the show now. But of course, if you want to know what uh, the synopsis of next week's episode is, stick around after the ending. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, and we'd love to get one from you, you can call us at 972-798-3830. That's 972-798-3830. Just let us know that you're calling for the Walking Dead TV podcast. Or you can send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Don't forget to check out hhwlod.com for all of our great shows, like Half Hour Wasted, The Long Box of Doom, Black Box, Out Now, uh, Jersey Shore, The Ichabod Cranecast, uh, the new Shaken Not Stirred James Bond podcast. And uh, Aaron, weren't you starting a new one as well? Oh, yeah. This is coming um, probably around April when we started up. We're doing a 24 podcast from the creators of the Ichabod Cranecast. We're um, going to... Do another pod, yeah, exactly. We're gonna do it. That was a, I like that Super Bowl commercial, by the way. We're gonna do a sweet, uh, a new podcast devoted to the upcoming season of Twenty Four. Very, very cool. And of course, we would always appreciate iTunes reviews and ratings as uh, we're moving into the second half of the season. That means there's gonna be a lot of people looking for Walking Dead podcasts. Your ratings and reviews on iTunes are extremely helpful and getting the name of the show out there, so we would really appreciate it. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter, at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. I'm at Jordan FRM Jersey. Aaron is at Aaron's PS4. And Russ is at R Latham, L-A-T-H-A-M. And so until there's no more room in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, ask not for whom the door knocks. It knocks for thee. That's right. Hemingway reference, everybody. Have a good week. I was hoping and, uh, we'll see you pudding. next time. I was, yeah, pudding. <laughs> uh, we're, we always hope for pudding, and sometimes instead we get Hemingway. But they're both good. So next week on The Walking Dead, if you don't want to hear anything about next week's episode, tune out now. We'll talk to you next time. But the episode, episode 410, is entitled Inmates. And in the most specific information-giving synopsis ever... AMC tells us that the episode synopsis is the group encounters obstacles in their quest for stability and safety. Also, zombies appear. Spoilers. <laughs> and uh, from the preview, it looks like we're going to be focusing on uh, Tyrese and the girls. So maybe we get an answer to the Judith question and also Glenn and Maggie in uh, at least the 15 seconds or so of them that we got in the preview. Their storyline looked particularly interesting. There were some cool shots in there. Have a good week, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Guess who is knocking on the door? Guess who is knocking on the door? Guess who is knocking on the door? It's me, mother of all time, knocking on the door. I am recording up a storm over here. Uh, well, if you just make sure to cut out the storm before you send me the file. Though. I'll do my best. Okay. Alrighty, this episode's called Alone. It's episode 409, I think? 11D. Yes, 409. Giddy up 409. I was on my way going there. Yes. <laughs> That's a reference older than both of us. Sorry we're a bit light on the bloopers this week, but hey, if you want laughs, 
Aaron and I have both seen the Lego movie, and we both found that it surpassed all of our expectations. I cannot recommend it enough. Absolutely fantastic if you're a parent of small or even any age children, and you haven't already taken them to see it or aren't planning on taking them to see it, you're doing it wrong. Fantastic movie. Go out and see it if you want some laughs and uh, maybe some cries, too. No spoilers, but uh, it's really good. Have a good week, everybody.